Okay, so I've been asked to give a little bit of a description on what integral yoga is. So integral yoga, as developed by Swami Satchidananda, is comprised of the six classical branches of yoga, physical practices, meditation and mantra practices, heart opening practices, selfless service, and self-inquiry. All integrated into a holistic approach to awaken us to our true nature of peace and joy. The entire system rests upon a foundation of respect for all faiths, for diversities, and for the unity in our diversities. So today I'm joined by someone who has uh, a lot of diverse experiences. Uh, here with Rowan Chabelli, who's one of our, our lead integral yoga trainers. Uh, he's also studied at a meditation college for six years, Tibetan Buddhism for six years, and I believe for the last 12 or 15 years, really studying Yana yoga uh, very deeply with a, a very, very passionate fire. So Rowan, thanks so much for being here. Pleasure, Ravi. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's start with with that with with Yana Yoga, and um, why why that's been such an interest to you. Yeah, interesting. You know, when when I took the teacher training at the ashram, and we were we part of the teacher training program, looks there's there's this lovely kind of questionnaire that. It's kind of like a little fun questionnaire, like, you know, where are you vibing right now? And it gets you to ask which kind of different approaches, different branches of yoga that you kind of really resonate with. Are you more a mover, the hatha? Are you more devotional? Are you more into the science of the mind? And I remember when we did those, uh, I think I was kind of hatha and raja oriented, you know, and when I kind of heard about yana yoga and looked into it, it was one of those things that it seemed sweet, but had no, no idea what it meant, the, the, the languaging around it, just asking the question, who am I? After four minutes of doing that, I was kind of bored with it. It didn't resonate. It didn't land anywhere. And I was like, yeah, okay. I can kind of get why you do that, but it kind of, you know, it kind of stopped there. Um, I, I couldn't really quite get the, the trajectory of it, you know, like, you know, with, with, with Raja yoga, there's like a science, you kind of like study the mind. It gives you practices. It gives you a variety of things to do. It gives you, complexity study you know and yada yoga was just like who are you and then you know you do that for five minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes and then i never really got the value and then so i kind of you know i think it maybe maybe like 10 years to 15 years or something like that after doing the teacher training programs and after i don't know you know one day it just kind of like strikes you know something just struck and uh, it's, it's similar to other experiences you know i started out you know reading krishnamurti and i remember coming back to him after about 12 years and then just what i didn't comprehend so it seems like things have uh, this potentiality for all of us to be kind of cyclic uh, and i don't know why it struck why it struck i think you know i think i started or i think i started realizing i think i started questioning the kind of like um the linear trajectory of practice, like A plus B equals C, C plus D. Mm. And I think I, I found that interesting in Tibetan Buddhism as well. It's like, you have to kind of do 20 years of this practice, 10 hundred million mantras, you know what I mean? It's, it's very kind of laid out, like this is your path, this is the trajectory. And then one day, if you're lucky, this realization is gonna to come to you. And I think, I don't know what, I think after like many, many years of dedicated practice, I started that, that trajectory in my mindset, like A plus B equals C, I'm going to practice in order to one day arrive somewhere, started to collapse. Mm. And I think it was, I think it was around that kind of time of getting interested in the immediacy of things, not like, I'm ordinary now and I'm going to get realized and I, it's going to look like this when, when I'm realized it's going to look like that. And, and this all this kind of chasing dynamic of, I'm pretty sure that the realization is my current experience. I don't even know what actually realization is if I'm honest, 
I know that I'm kind of orienting towards some deep instinct for some deep seeing. And if I do these practices, it's going to somehow bring me closer. And I think maybe it was through those practices, you know, maybe it was through 20 years of or whatever long of like dedicated. I actually started getting interested in more the present moment, but not as like, not as something which is going to get me somewhere but just more the dynamics of the present moment in a way that wasn't on a, like an ongoing trajectory. And then it kind of like the, that whole yana yoga kind of bam, the kind of trajectory of really what it's about. It's kind of struck. And then I would say that, you know, I've kind of then gone through like a, a long dismantling process of, old conditions of ideologies of what I thought the whole path was about, like a horrible, beautiful, painful deconstruction of what I'd spent so many years kind of chasing is slowly kind of getting deconstructed. So I don't know if that just gives you a little overview. Yeah. Well, the, the deconstruction, you know, what I think about and the last time we spoke, uh, I heard you um, sharing uh, a bunch about, you know, the process of, of seeking, looking for something, and then maybe coming coming to find that, you know, the, the game was up for you a little bit in terms of, of seeking for whatever it is, right? S- searching for something. So it, it seems like that was a real shift as opposed to, you know, I'm going to do these practices. I'm going to try to get somewhere instead of that. I mean, is really what we're talking about. Um, is it contentment? Is it just contentment for where I am right now and what I'm experienced, experiencing and maybe gratitude like that there's nothing, I don't feel empty in this moment that, that I'm, I'm full, that things are okay right now. I, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, replace anything or I don't have anything to prove to myself or anyone else. Things are okay. Just, just the way they are right now. Is, is that what it's about? Uh, well, that's a lovely question, Abby, and that's, there's many, I hear many layers, I hear many layers to that. I, first of all, it kind of reminds me of being in kind of half a classes and then hearing the teacher talk about contentment. And, you know, we're kind of reflecting and, and realize that I wasn't, con- I'm not, I've never been content where I am. I've just not been content. And when, I, when I've always heard the teachings of contentment, it's interesting. I've kind of always oriented around how do I, I know that I'm not content. I know that I'm supposed to be content. I can't pretend to be content if I'm really not. And I think I spent a long time pretending to be content or try to superimpose contentment. It's like, I love the idea of being content. I've just got to be content. What is that about pretending? In fact, ask, why, why would we, we, is it, is it because of an image that we're trying to portray to someone else that we, that we see, okay, like contentment is kind of hip. This is a cool thing. So I'm, I'm going to pretend to be a certain way. Um, so that I'm seen in a certain way. Is that what it is? Or is it something else? Well, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for how this teaching lands in everyone. I mean, how I heard it was try to be content or be content or orient around, you know, contentment is a good trajectory and I could never get myself there I could never like practice myself into contentment I've never been able to kind of do that I think for me there was like I can kind of like surrender a little bit like what the mind wants and it but it felt always like a pseudo kind of contentment like it's temporarily okay but as soon as no one's looking I'm not really blinking content with my current experience I'm not really am where I want to be and whatever I feel like I attain, it's so transitory. If I get stillness, it's so momentary. If I find a bit of peace in my meditation, it only lasts for a period of time. And underneath and underneath and underneath, I never really felt content. And I think that was what was interesting for me. And I kind of, you know, and again, this is going to be probably different for for many, but, but I think my words may resonate with a few, that I think I've realized that what was underneath a lot of my practices was like a, an underlying, not really wanting to be here, using my practices to avoid 
not really confronting deeper disharmonies within my own psyche, like shadow, inner child. Um, and I think I, tr I was hoping to transcend or practice myself out of discontentment without actually meeting those disharmonious energies within my system. And, and I think that the trajectory of the, me of the immediate, which is what Yana Yoga kind of oriented me to, it kind of gave me nowhere to run because I think my practices were always trying to get me out to transcendent, to a place that I'm okay, but deep in my body, deep in my somatics, there was not rest, you know, and, but, but I love the idea of it. So th this is a classic understanding for me of how kind of like realization can come in on the level of the mental realm. And I really get contentment on so many levels. And I understand the philosophies of non-attachment and I really get it. But on a deep physical level, I wasn't. And I think I've had to go through the process of, like I said, kind of like really meeting, really showing up for disharmonies and having a different relationship to unresolved energies in my system. And I think that's been one facet. And, and I would say that the other facet, it's not that I as Rowan becomes content, that I've always seen, I've, I've always felt that that's what the teaching was. It's like, Rowan, you as an ego structure needs to become content. And, and I didn't understand it. I felt, and I realize now that that's not what contentment has been pointing to in me. Um, um, when you say that you need to do something, is that like from in, like your, your inner self is saying that you need to do it? Or is that from an external voice saying you need to do it? Well, I guess it's how I've always... I guess it's how I've always heard the teachings. You know, when I hear a teaching like contentment, I guess my mind has always interpreted it like you need to be content or you need to work towards contentment. I've always taken it on as a project that somehow I need to orient myself. And I guess maybe that is a misunderstanding of the teachings or maybe that was just the way that I heard it. But for me, it's like, you know, it felt like, I, I you know, that steadiness of mind is yoga and be content and it sounds lovely you know it sounds like and i don't think i don't and i'm not trying to say that that's kind of wrong but how i understand contentment now it's it's, it's a difference in i'm hearing the sutras differently you know I, and i think I, we might have talked about this a little bit on the last podcast we did where i used to hear the teachings as a diy manual it's like do this to get there and I've, I think I've always had that relationship to practice. And I've had a slight shift in the way of seeing this now, which has had an interesting, it's landed well in me. And so rather than it's like, do this to get there, it's almost like, this is just a description. This was never a DIY manual. This is like a description of life from the perspective of stillness. This isn't necessarily a, a step one, step two, step three manual in which I've, I've always taken it to be that. And I've, quite often be taught to take it as that and i've seen it a little differently now so how, how that actually works in reality for me is like rather than rather than kind of try to practice yourself into contentment or to see kind of clearly that all the places that you go for happiness don't really work rather than kind of like it's almost like i've been orienting to that what is that part of you that is already not in opposition to whatever's moving through you. So it's not that I have to kind of get my ego to be content. It's more a reorientation and like a, and a recognition of, and it's the same with the silence teachings and the quietness teachings, rather than try to get my mind to be quiet, it's orient to where that's already the case. Like, and it's like in the orientation of where that's already the case, something illumines or something gets recognized. So it's, so it's such a beautiful, subtle paradox. So, I, you know, on one level, I could kind of say, in my energetics, there's kind of like still a lack of contentment. And in something deeper in me, I can see where there's contentment. And I can see that the contentment isn't in disharmony with that in me, which is discontent. So I feel that my own discontentment has, is finding ongoing resolution, not because I've got rid of the discontentment, but because it's seen from what's content. I don't know. Right, right. It's so subtle and beautiful and, and blows my mind continually. And it's, 
I don't know if, that, if that's useful. Yeah, yeah. What I would say is, that, what I'm hearing is that, you know, the contentment itself or the acceptance, you know, it, it, it surrounds everything. It, it, holds, it holds the discontentment, right? Uh, which allows it to be okay, which is, is kind of, it's this deeper, uh, it's this deeper contentment or acceptance, not just a, uh, a short period of time where I find peace. It's acceptance of this whole experience I'm having, which, uh, which fluctuates, which is sometimes, you know, being angry or being discontented and feeling empty, feeling depressed, whatever it is. Instead of getting stuck in that, I, I see that and I say, you know, that's okay too. You know, you know, and I want to ask you about just this idea of, of permanence. And I, I see it in relation to labels. You know, we label ourselves, you know, I'm a content person. I'm a grateful person, or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed or I'm this, I'm that. And what I find is that the reality is actually much more complex than that, right? Is that, yes, I am that, but yes, I am also peace and I am also happiness and I am also, you know, um, spoiled. And, and, you know, there's so much to it that it seems that fluctuation is a, just the way that nature operates itself. And the more that I run away from that and, 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 and try to, stick myself um, with a way of being that is, is permanent, the more I am going to be dissatisfied because I'm going uh, against uh, kind of the, the reality of nature, I, I would say. Music yeah. to me is, I mean, so beautifully put, right? That's so beautifully put and exactly, exactly that. And I think, and that's, I think that's the beauty of the path. I think that's what's so beautiful about, you know, we talk about prakriti, like nature is there to give you experience, to liberate you. It's like whenever you fix yourself anywhere, it's painful and it creates pressure and resistance. And I think that that's, you know, and to try to fix yourself in any particular camp as the impermanent just gives rise to that level of pain. And, you know, ironically, and this is what's so subtle about the spiritual paradox. It's so, you know, it's always so, it's razor's edge, right? It's razor's edge. So it's like you start to get the sense of what's permanent within the eternal fluctuation of what's impermanent. You don't make the impermanent permanent, but you start to get the sense of where permanency is within the impermanent, but you don't fix your identity there. So yeah, you know, you, I experience this amazing, beautiful fluidity of my of my own structure my own kind of like egoic mental identity within the identity of non-identity if you see what i mean the permanent within the impermanent the ground within the fluctuation you know the, the stability within the flow and that's what's so beautiful for me it's like where is the primary identity you know are you identifying yourself as the fluctuation or are you are you seeing that hmm that you are the permanent within the fluctuation and these identities that come and go are not you, so to speak. I mean, not when we say not you, like Ramana, and you know, that's the first half. You know, first of all, you see that it's not you, then you see that it is you, and then you see that then you see there's no separation. You know, the world is illusion, only Brahma is real, Brahma is is illusion, you know, is is nothing but illusion. Those three stages of realization. And so, first of all, that neti neti approach, and then you realize, well, actually, Brahma is the illusion that you can't. Do you see what I mean? It's three gradients of kind of like realization, three different depths of seeing this, you know, and we start with the neti neti to kind of like take that kind of fusion of identity with impermanence, you know, but then, then that next level of, of, well, that's also you, my friend, illusion is also Brahma. You know what I mean? It's like, can you explain a little bit the, you know, neti neti, not this, not that. Yeah. We know how, how you understand it. Yeah. It's a lovely, it's a lovely, it's a lovely, um, it's a great methodology, you know, I mean, I have, you know, I have such deep respect for the, for the, for the approach, you know, you know, it just kind of, it, in a way it kind of like, it, 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 but I mean, basically for those who haven't come across it, neti neti means not this, not that. So basically you're just invited not to grab or grasp or kind of identify with anything that's, impermanent in nature and 
And I don't know. I mean, for me, that sounded like a, you know, that initially that sounded like a really full on task, right? You've got it on it 24 seven and it feels like it's the most complex thing to take yourself through. And so I, I always think I always, I always exhausted myself with that teaching, not really knowing how to practice or how, until I was invited or until I, I started understanding the non-effort approach to meditation. And this is, I know that this was the title that we were going to call this podcast because for me, the root of neti neti, it's important for me. It's crucial that it sits with the notion of non-manipulation because in a way, and non-manipulation is so restful, but I, there's nothing, there's been, there's been nothing, not much about my old practice that was restful. You know, it was like a fire that was always kind of like putting a lot of will and determination into kind of practice. And for me, the notion of non-effort meant a complete U-turn of, of trajectory so, you know, neti neti, it follows the kind of notion of, you know, you're not really, your essence isn't that which of changing of nature. And as you start to kind of like not buy into or fuse with all of that that's impermanent, which is pretty much everything, thought, feeling, emotion, psychology, a body, that you start to get a little bit more clarified. You start to see what's not of the, the impermanent dimension. And that becomes a little bit more obvious to you. Um, you know, but I, I would say that, you know, and, and I think that's been a lovely teaching, but I don't feel that I've gained deep seeing through that alone. I've needed to come at Yana Yoga from at least 20 different angles to even start to clarify that. That, uh, for me, a teaching alone wasn't enough. I've had to really move into non-effort. I've really got to go, I really have to go into deeper questions of, and, and deeper teachings of like who am i you know i've really gone into niskaradatta ramana uh modern day teachers like ajashanti i've really had to listen and listen and listen and listen and take it in and take it in because there's been so many ways in which the mind creates tricks you know so i've really needed a whole host of different teachings to support that one simple instruction has needed so much support and i'm so grateful for that 20,000 teachings that supported that one question. You know what I mean? It's so, ah, oh, it's so beautiful. You know? So Rowan, like, I know, I know that you've uh, spoken a lot about, yeah, non, non-effort and maybe non-seeking, but it does seem that, I don't know if it's, it's, there's been a shift now, if it's currently your perspective, but like, what are you after, if after anything? Like, what have you been after in the past? And, and maybe you're not feeling like you're, you're after anything right now. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you are looking for something and, that, and then you feel that that's okay too. But what is it? And, what, and is, it, is it something different than originally put you on this path of yoga? Beautiful question, Abby. What a lovely, what a lovely question. You know, I... It's, I, uh, <laughs> what I think motivated me initially, I, I thought that pain had motivated me, you know, um, or kind of like restlessness or just wanting more peace or tasting something through a happy yoga class. I think over the years, I've understood a little bit more about the instinct that we have for deeper understanding and Gurudev used to talk about it, like some part of you doesn't really forget that you've tasted something di- different. And there's some kind of instinct. Um, I've been reading a little book um, recently from a Kuwaiti satsang teacher called Almas. Um, and I found a lot of value in that book. He talked about um, the, the instinct for, for liberation or the instinct for peace or the instinct for spirituality you know, I, I've always felt that it was my drive, like my instinct. And he's posited a lovely idea that the enlightenment drive comes from the realization itself. It doesn't come from you. It comes from already what's already at home in you. And it calls part of the psyche that's somehow forgotten that back to itself. And I find that so beautiful. To, I feel like that really lands in me. It's like I've always taken it to be my drive. And I've always thought that my the drive in me towards spirituality as yoga has just been an enthusiasm or 
I haven't really known how to orient towards it. Like, is it an instinct that there's something more? Is it that I know on some level I'm not really that peaceful and I'd like to take something deeper? Am I, is it that I'm just sold on the idea of what my fantastical thinking tells me liberation sounds like when it's described in the books? Ramana sat there with beautific eyes in total bliss. I want a bit of that, right? I want a bit of that for me. And maybe it's been a very self-centered kind of drive of just wanting to feel what I've read in the books. And But now, from the perspective of which I live now, I feel like it's been that deep calling of like a deeper instinct that hasn't really come from me. It's come from truth itself that's I, I would say that I've been fortunate enough to be ignited by that disease of search. And I, you know, and I heard from Majishanti, he coined it, he called it that once, the disease of liberation, the disease of spiritual practice. And initially when I heard it like that, I was like, that's horrible. No, for me, it's a, not a disease. It's a, it's a love and a passion and a dedication. And, but I really understand also the perspective of that, that kind of illness of, search you know i don't know is, I mean, is it fear is it i mean is it is it generations of fear of survival um that have kind of brought us to this place of 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 feeling that we we need to search or prove ourselves or something like that is that is that what's what's behind it ultimately I don't, I don't, I think something's deeper than fear. I mean, that's a lovely question again, Ivy, and I think fear has a massive role to play, you know, and, and, you know, and this can be quite shocking. You know, I've gone through many stages of seeing fear on many different levels, like almost like seeing that it underpins pretty much 95% of my intentions are fear oriented. 95% of my thoughts are kind of anxiety oriented. So I've come to some I've come to some pretty harsh realizations of how much subtle anxiety are actually running my psychology. And, and, you know, I've seen that it's not only a fear of death, it's actually a fear of living. It's a fear of life. It's a fear of not being loved and not being accepted. And yes, I think fear is on multiple levels, but for me, I feel that the calling home or, or something which is orienting something deeper is actually comes from deep something much deeper than fear. It, 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 I think it 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 um it doesn't feel like it comes from my persona psychology or what I can generate. This is what I mean by like a deeper in pull towards home or towards self revelation is actually coming from liberation itself. Well, yeah, I mean the home. I would say the way that that I'm thinking about it is that's the opposite of fear, in a way. That's the place that just says things are the way that they that they are and that it's okay um yeah yeah and and this um the kind of separation this is more i guess i would say on 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 the ego level of you know what is my value um how good am i those those types of questions that i think most of us spend a lot of time asking or or considering for me personally it's been really helpful is that I've come to the place where, you know, I, I, I often ask, um, you know, do I, is there anything to take credit for, you know, with myself? And then I realized that like, I didn't create this being, you know, who I am in the way that I operate. Like there's no taking credit for that at all. <laughs> and it's, it, that is a great liberation for me. So it's like when, uh, I'm complimented or I'm criticized. Like, what does it matter really? Like there's none of that. And, and it's such a different way of operating. Um, I, I, it's been a huge practice remembering that just, just remembering that that's the reality after so many years of, you know, wanting that compliment, wanting to be seen that certain way uh, so badly. <laughs> Lovely, man. Lovely to lovely to hear you talk like that, Evie. And you know, and I and I have this. I, I have exactly the same. You know, I have exactly the same. And you know, part of me sees that I'm not the same thing. It's like I'm not really taking credit for this. I don't really feel like everything comes spontaneously. This is something that you start to see through your yoga, right? Everything arises spontaneously in life and in you and through the psyche. And everything you call you doing it is not you doing it at all. And that's such a liberating revelation. 
but I would kind of, you know, I, I also kind of feel to add um, the kind of like, a, like the importance of kind of like really honoring the biology and to realize that not to get too stuck for me in the, in the transcendent revelation of that approach, even though that's a dynamite seeing that there's such a sweetness in my biology and that there is a yearning for physical connection and compassion and, and connection and appreciation and honor. And, and I've kind of learned to not learn to kind of, but I, but I've learned not to get too stuck in the transcendent. Like it's all not me. It's all not me. It's all not me. When I, the more, when I was really deeply embedded in, there's nothing I can take credit for. It's all just happening. And, and this is kind of like, sometimes this is kind of described as, like the halfway house of being the witness. It's like you start to see that you're not doing anything or creating anything, but you start to feel a little cold and disconnected from life. You kind of like, or what Ajishanti says, you see it becomes a, a, a manageable duality. You're the witness and then everything else is just happening in front of you. And for me, there's, there's been, I was there for a long time, that sense of it's all just happening. I see that I'm fine, but I'm feeling like a little disconnected and, so for me, I've kind of like, I've been on this kind of reintegration practice with my biology and kind of bring, bringing that kind of seeing of spacious transcendence, but really back into my biology and being human and I do miss things and I want to be appreciated and I want to be hugged and I have these, I have this very real biology. Then, and it, it, even it sounds kind of contradictory, it's kind of not, you know, the, there's enough space in my transcendence for me to also be human and and I'm finding that like, like just dynamite paradox between this kind of transcendental element and this very real, frail, imperfect human element and how they kind of sit together in no contradiction in such a beautiful way. You know what I mean? It's, um, yeah, I know, I know exactly what, what you're saying. I think that's, that's perfect. And it takes me back to the idea of, of per permanence and maybe the fallacy behind you know, permanence, expecting um, that you're going to be operating on, you know, the same level all the time. And the, the shift for me is, you know, having breaks is enough, right? And, and actually, I love it being operating on, on the different levels, you know, where sometimes, right, I'm more on that, um, you know, care, even I'll say stuck in the self and, 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 uh, you know, use the word persona a lot. You know, I'm, so I'm in the persona of, of who I am and wanting that physical connection and that's okay. And it becomes more okay when I have then breaks from that where I am just witnessing my life or I'm just sitting in uh, my true nature, which is peace. And there's literally nothing there, you know, and I don't expect for it to stay forever either. You know, it's not like I need to hold on to that. And, but I think, there's this beauty in moving back and forth and allowing it for to be okay. It's like coming up for air every once in a while, as opposed to just staying in the same mode all, all of the time. Right. I think for, for many people, meditation, when they first start, it's kind of scary to lay down that sort of per persona because there's maybe this fear that, well, if I'm not that, then what am I? And will that be waiting for me? you know, afterwards. And what I often say, like, it'll be there, like lay it down for a little while and, and you'll find that it's still waiting for you. Yeah. Can I, I feel so. Can I, can I share something into that, into that, into that sentence and please. So, um, I, so um, I just want to kind of share uh, um, how how, I'm ex how I experience yana yoga from, and I want to say the practice, but the practice of the yana yoga sounds a little clumsy to say that it's a practice. It doesn't, but w w there's something in me that started to become aware that present moment isn't something that comes and goes. 
So for me, I, I started I started to see that presence is presence, and there's never a moment that it's not. That was kind of like the first deep settling for me into what I would call ground. There was like a real a, a real recognition that it's only it, it is only ever now. I don't, I'm not really practicing myself into being present. There is only ever now, and what what I start what what's happening in me pretty much spontaneously because it's this is why I want to don't you want to use the word practice in the way that we normally orient around the word practice but how I'm experiencing something is like whatever arises out of nowhere whatever thought form comes up whatever you know sense of self me identity thought form feeling it's kind of like it it, it kind of like it it, it's seen from what's always here, so to speak. And therefore, it kind of liberates itself in its own seeing. So it's like, a, it's like the end of karmic confusion. It's like the thought of me being me is seen from me, from the truth of me. So the idea of me can never really solidify or clarify because it's seen from stillness, which is me. So it's almost like that particular arising in the thought form self-liberates. It can't land, take root, and give birth to more confusion because it's experienced as it arises from source. So it's like every single thing that arises in me is actually a cause of deeper seeing because it confirms and confirms and confirms where I'm not that as it arises. And it's not a practice it's the perspective of how silence sees form moving. I just felt to share that because it felt it felt like I don't know, like a slight sidestep from come that that notion of kind of coming and going. I can be in the persona and I can not be in the persona, and that's very much I can understand that because I remember when I was kind of like also felt like I am the persona and I can be the persona or can I cannot be the persona. It's that sense of the we kind of have this kind of sense of coming and going. I got it and I lost it. I became and I didn't become. And sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. And and I don't know if that's how you meant it, but I just felt to respond because I think there might be a nuance here that, that could be used worth unpacking. I don't know. Yeah. Is, is the nuance labeling one better than the other a little bit? Um. Or, or maybe the nuance is uh, to your point is that there's always something permanent that is that is there. Um, I think, we and grow, that yeah, I think we grow in seeing that. I think somehow that becomes more and more obvious. And the more obvious that is, the more the thought forms self liberate without really landing. Uh, you know, I mean, the, when when I started when I first started. Experience when I first started playing around with this, I remember I, I would kind of go to a satsang retreat or I'd go to like a yana yoga retreat. I'd spend a little time with, with and I'd speak to some, you know, the teacher, and the teacher would orient to me back to self stillness. And then there'd be something in me that went, ah, I'm the self. And then maybe if in a few thought forms time, I would fuse again with that thought form and I would feel, oh no, I fused myself with the thought form. I'm not the self as I thought I was. How do I get myself back to being the self? And I would say that I had that movement in me for quite a number of years. I am the self, I'm not the self. I've identified back with form. How do I identify with being the no form? And I would say that I spent quite a, and this might not be how you're talking at all, but I recognize that it's quite common to kind of get a sense of, I recognize self, but I don't really, I'm not able to kind of hold it or, and I just kind of fuse again with kind of like impermanence. And when I feel like I'm impermanence, I feel like I need to get back to impermanence. Or um, so I don't know whether it's it's very subtle, and I don't know whether that's what you mean. But something in me is clarified over that process. It took me a number of years for something around that coming and going from what I would call deeper stability to kind of clarify and I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, maybe. I mean, and then I would translate that perhaps into um, what you described as, as, you know, the wisdom of no effort. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, yeah, there is, there is like that. 
so there's not a, an effort of, of, of moving in a different direction or, or to a different place. Like even just seeing that the word that comes to me is, you know, allowance, just, just allowing or see, seeing the value of, of whatever experience is happening in this moment. Is is, is that, is that it a bit or am I off base? It's, it's, it's seen to be not you. That, I mean, that's the thing. Whatever, whatever the ego presents to be you, you see that it's not you. Whatever, whatever the, the mind decla- declares to be yourself, you, you see through, you see that it's not you. So the thought form liberates itself in the recognition of your of presence. So presence becomes the ground in which everything self-liberates. So you basically, you just, you kind of start to lose the capacity to feel that what's not, what's impermanent is you. You somehow lose the capacity to buy into the impermanent as being yourself. And I feel that I remember that being in a sutra somewhere. It's like, does that also happen, you know, automatically? Um, For me, it's a realization that I'm connected to something larger than myself. So when, when I realize that that is the reality, that isn't just me, that me is a part of something larger than me, all of that, happens automatically beautiful and exactly and that's why beautiful and that's why i was kind of sharing that it doesn't feel like a practice because it's almost like a spontaneous like the thought form i i i it kind of moves very cleanly through you and it doesn't feel like there's anything that necessarily picks that up the way that i kind of describe it in classes it's like the thought form has no fertile soil in which to take root so that thought self-liberates in its own emptiness and there's nothing in you that really confuses the truth of what you are with that particular aspect of, with that particular thought form or emotional state or it can't really take root. It doesn't really, com- it doesn't really become fundamentally what you are. You see, you, because you're living the truth of you, right? You keep checking. Am I that thought form? No, I'm not that thought form. I'm presence itself and so that thought form can't really land in you. But I feel for me, you know, there were years, you know, there's been, it's so subtle. It's been a very subtle process in deepening that revelation because, as I say, for years, it was kind of like, there's so many ways that I, as Rowan, were, was getting, felt like I was stuck or did assume the form of the mental modification. I am now this identity. I am now that trajectory. I am now this subtle ego form. It's so subtle and it gets subtler and subtler and subtler, you know, I've experienced. And, and you know, and I'm not saying that I'm, um, I'm not kind of declaring that, but it does feel to me like, it does feel to me that There's no, um, there's no timeline to this. It's like whenever you orient and here you are, nothing kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of survives in the clarity of self-recognition. It's like it. So it's, 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 it's very is that love? Well, but I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, it's just, it's like it gives. Yeah, it's, you know, for me, it's like an ongoing celebration of everything that I've struggled with that I can see that I don't have to fight with. So everything that arises, it's just seen from such rest that everything is the cause of a kind of like an inner joy that you can't really share with anyone unless they're playing like this because it's damn subtle and it's very unique and it's very intimate with, you know, with yourself and creation itself. And But yeah, it's like an ongoing celebration. It's you know, it's one of the most profound, beautiful delicacies of life that I think I've ever discovered. It's precious and so sacred and just such a relief and like lifetimes and eons of confusion is starting to clarify. And I can't tell you just the enormity of the relief of just 
having space from being fused with your psychology. It's like, dear, thank you. <laughs> it's like that for me. Anyway. Uh, fused with your psychology. <laughs> I love that. And, and, and that I find to be more of like what the Yana approach is about. Like that's the, the ultimate is it, it's fusing our psychology with reality. I guess it's, it's our psychology has been this thing that's, you know, been operating for quite some time. Right. And, and that's the thing that needs answers. It needs to work stuff out. And I find that it can actually, right. It is set up like that. It isn't like, okay, the mind is, is the enemy. No, the, the mind is interested in truth. And, and so you, if, if, if we're looking at it honestly, then at a certain point, I do think that that, that happens, that our, our psychology fuses with, with nature in a, in a way. And, and it happens, and again, I think it's getting back to the original self, right? That psychology implants maybe have been put onto us in, in, in a certain in a certain way um, that have been confusing and not in alignment with reality. Um, and so it's, it's getting clean. It's getting those, those circuits back, back into the proper place. You know, every, every time you talk, we could stop and pause and just open that <laughs> for so long, you know, um, There's so many things that I kind of want to speak to that. The one is like, I love hearing the way you describe things. The thing that comes to mind, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear your words is, um, I started seeing the ego as a verb. So rather than like a, a noun, like a description of a particular movement, I've seen it. I've started seeing it as a verb and the verb is actually, it's actually a resistance. And I've really, I started seeing that multiple layers of thought forms, they kind of come out of a more of a somatic energetic rejection and resistance and avoidance. It's almost like the, the, the way that my mind spins, I've, I've seen that has kind of come out of the heart being a little closed or conflict in the body or not wanting to integrate. So I've kind of, I've always looked for reconciliation on a mental level and the way that I found the thought processes massively deconstructing hasn't been through me anyway, working necessarily with the thought forms, but it's been coming through the body and letting kind of trauma and energies that have been in conflict very much on my human existence, my human life. And as they find resolution, it dramatically impacts the volume of thoughts that I kind of experience. So that's, I would say, the first element of that for me. Is like it has a very deep embodiment root of very much being with my physical. What am I feeling? What am I? And not as a mental like spin, because it's, I think for ages I was stuck in what am I feeling? Let me bring that into the intellect. But I'm not finding value in that anymore. I'm finding that the intellect was always confused. The, the narration was always off. The story was always an interpretation at best. And what I've actually, how I'm actually finding energetic integration and resolution is not coming through the interpretation level, but really letting myself fully feel uh, and letting myself go to the places that I hadn't really wanted to go, like going into what in me was shame, shut down, repressed, what did I want to not experience? What did I think was wrong? What have I been judging? And as those kind of feelings have been unpacked, felt, and fully allowed to manifest, within that kind of full embodiment of them has come the kind of liberation of what would have put the mind into conflict. Because for me, thought operates. It operates as a, as a process that's in opposition to itself. So thought forms continue to generate thought forms in conflict with itself. And mm. that, that's what thought is. Thought is an ongoing narration of thought in conflict with other thought forms. And the more unpeaceful you are as a person, just simply 
it's the more thought forms you have in conflict with other thought forms and the more psychologically peaceful you become on the psychological level, you just have kind of less thought forms in conflict with less thought forms. And for me, it's important to orient that back into these kind of like deeper memories, traumas, energies in this kind of really embodied level. Yeah. The way I might do something similar is I've basically just lowered the the importance of thoughts <laughs> <laughs> at all. Like I, I, I kind of just, no matter what thought I'm having, I'll just say like, you know, <laughs> um, thoughts are, thoughts can be great, but they don't really matter too much. To me, what matters is being, being matters. And so it's, you know, and it's, it's just also realizing that I've spent so much time thinking and working stuff out. And then finally getting to this place where it's like, I don't, I don't need to think anymore. I don't need to figure any other stuff out. And I, I still will. My mind is going to do that and it's fine. But the grasp on it is not nearly as strong. I, I'm much more able to just see the thoughts come and go and, and, and not get kind of um, hung up on them, you know? Yeah, it's lovely, right? It's so, it's so restful. And, and, you know, and maybe the body level, you know, is something that may or may not be useful. You know, for me, um, you know, having that kind of slight witnessing rest from not giving the thought so much value is so wonderfully liberating. And I remember when one of the satsang teachers, I think it might have been Ajay Shanti again, um, you know, he, he kind of like, I don't, what's interesting to me, he says, is not necessarily what you've realized, but how that realization actually moves you in the world. And that's become something which has mm. really fascinated me because by f f my interest has very much moved from kind of like, like the head-based orientation much more, and now I'm like interested when I'm talking to you and when I'm listening to you to have kind of a much more of an awareness actually deep down in my physical body and to f almost like I'm aware of feeling what I'm saying to you as I'm saying it. And because my own body has started to become a deeper like truth meter mm. and I can kind of see if I'm full of nonsense, I'll feel that if I'm whatever I say to you, I'll feel whether I am I'm, I'm complete. I'm on a complete trip <laughs> as I'm speaking it to you. So it's almost like my own words. My, you know, the body is kind of my go-to now to see where I, you know, it hasn't kind of found resolution, or where I'm still pretending that I haven't got a trauma and I have, or whether I'm still kind of being a little judgmental or egotistical. It's almost like that body level for me. It's almost, almost like an ongoing process where liberation can take itself deeper and it does it through that kind of body form, you know. I, I think the body, the body form is, is essential. I, yeah. I, I really do. I see it as, you know, can I embody my body or am I embodying my body, right? And ju just the reminder to feel, just to feel the whole thing, right? Yeah. And then I, I realize, you know, how often you know, I'm, I'm caught up up top in my, in, in, in my head. And it's like this wonderful, nice invitation um, to be the whole thing that I am. <laughs> right. Beautiful, man. I mean, totally beautifully. And I think this is what, this is why I think I love Yana Yoga so much. Cause I, I don't think I could have done that because I didn't feel safe enough. And I understand, I've understood that now through working with trauma and really going into trauma that to, if you're going to process something within your kind of nervous system, You've got to be resourced enough to be able to do it. And for me, the realization of non-self or kind of like that transcendence uh, or just a deeper kind of recognition of what silence in me has been my safety that's given me the capacity to feel that I can, I'm ready enough to feel what I've been running from on that kind of physical level. So, and this is what I think Yana Yoga has really given me or, that kind of sense of it is all really empty and I can actually rest. And it's been that kind of resting in that deeper level of truth that has kind of prepared me again. I feel it's now given me the resources to feel deeper levels of trauma or deeper levels of, 
identity or body what, what you're describing so beautifully what comes out of nowhere in your physical body it's like I haven't wanted to embody that I this is why I said at the beginning of our podcast I I spent most of my meditation practice trying to run from the uncomfortable feelings not to actually show up for them and really fully integrate them and let them be seen for what they are and to really start to experience its root and to let every single nuance of it unpick itself just through being totally still and having it come up into your consciousness and seeing layer upon layer of untruthfulness in it in terms of, but also the kind of the profundity of seeing that emotions aren't really what you thought they were and energies aren't really what they thought you were and mental diagnostics aren't really what you thought they were. And I hadn't been ready for any of that kind of seeing when I was in any kind of resistance or rejection. And I think this is the absolute gift of non-effort because it's given the ground to actually meet something without having an agenda with it, which I don't think I've ever had, to actually be with an unfolding and actually having no agenda with it seems to give such layers of seeing through and it's almost like if there was a subtlest agenda it wouldn't have been enough there would have been too much immaturity in the being with the agenda is so interesting it's like i find that even you know different parts of the body you know they they just want to be seen right right it's like even each each fingertip just wants to be seen. It's like yoga nidra is so powerful, you know, because of that, right? It's like, they don't need us to necessarily talk to it or do anything to it. It's just, they want us to, to feel just, just to look at me for, for a little bit. And as you're saying, you know, I think that's enough. Yeah, totally. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, you've got to be willing, right. And, and I don't know if you can make yourself ready. I don't know. I don't know. And this is, I don't know if I've ever been able to make myself ready. You know, I can, I've pretended to, and I've tried to show up and I've tried to show up with non-agenda and, you know, and I feel like I'm only able to show up now in a way that has non-agenda because I know how to rest. But until I knew how to rest with myself, I don't think I was able to show up with non-agenda because it's like, I don't like, if I'm honest, I don't like this part of me and I don't want to rest with this part of me. I don't like myself. I don't like this. So the, the, the notion of resting with it is offensive. And I'd never admit that. This is kind of like much deeper in the human psyche, right? But it's like, I don't want to rest with this. I don't like this part of myself. I'm not coming to yoga class to rest with it or be content. I'm coming to class because I want you to give me a way to get rid of the blinking thing. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> and I think, oh, I've always had that relationship to parts of myself. So it's lovely to hear, you know, mm. but, and what comes first, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't get the, it's like a chicken and the egg. Does the contentment come first so you can have no agenda or, mm. and, and this is why I feel, you know, I, I haven't been able to practice myself into contentment. But nevertheless, I've kind of seen the mechanism for what it is. Yeah. I'll just say, you know, I don't know if it comes first or not, but the practice of gratitude for me has been a huge one. Somehow seeing, you know, first doing it on on more of the intellectual level where I would just look and compare kind of our living conditions to many of our ancestors right? And all of these things that we have, just practically speaking, you know, shelter and water and food and uh, tons and tons of entertainment and intellectual stimulations and all that. Like, I, I couldn't deny anymore the, the, the abundance that had been given to me in my life. And then I started to see that more of the sadness came between comparing what I have to my brothers and sisters. And then I didn't want to do that anymore. And I saw that there was almost this epidemic of taking for granted what it is that we have in our lives. And once I saw that, it became this kind of wonderful challenge to me in a way to not do that. One that I'll, I'll be doing the rest of my life because it's so deep and it's so 
challenging not to take things for granted. And it's fine. It's also fine to take things for granted. It's okay. It's inevitable. Um, but somehow, you know, gratitude and feeling in my body, just grateful for this experience that nothing was ever owed to me a certain amount of time, right. Also losing people at a very young age and, and seeing that they, you know, we, we speak as if we're going to live to a certain amount of years and that's just not the way nature works. We don't know that. Um, so to just say everything that I've been given is, is, is a gift and, and what I found here. And that's okay. And even if I don't have any, anything more then I'm all right with that, I already, already feel full. So working that kind of out in, in my mind definitely had a big impact in, in my ability to feel the whole body and relax. And, 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 and that was really a doorway for me, I'll say. Yeah. No, lovely to hear. I mean, gratitude. Yeah, man, I love it. I mean, gratitude has got many, many facets right you can i mean mean, yeah i mean lovely to hear man i'm glad glad. lovely to hear that that works you know that works and yeah but again it's it's nothing that could be forced you know like that was it's a self-discovery type of thing you know it's and and you you hear the words thrown around a lot and if it doesn't resonate for you that you know it doesn't it's not it's not something you can you will yourself to to do i don't think um there's um when I hear the teaching gratitude, you know, it when I was being shown like deeper levels of myself to myself, because part of my own psychology is like there's a point in in human in in spiritual evolution when when the ego, when you start to become oriented to a deeper sense of peace, the ego forms itself and it tries to, it, it tries to get it for itself. And so it's like peace would show up. And like many things in life, you know, the, it's, it's very normal for the egoic psychology to kind of like take it for its own ends. It does it with everything. It does it with realization. It does it with insight. It does it with peace. It kind of like, it kind of grasps and and I was I was taught this, I was kind of shown this in a in my own psyche in, in one of the retreats I was on, where when you were really when I was really shown stillness and peace, that the gratitude practice, it seemed to be a direct transmission or a direct teaching to that part of me that would then grab it. It was almost like because when you initially get introduced to silence and peace, it's not very deep and profound. It doesn't come with trumpets and bells, and it's very often what the ego is not looking for. So the ego tends to reject silence for just pleasant sensations, or like um, it turns self-revelation into an idea. It turns it into something that it keeps dipping into as if it can enjoy it for itself, for the ego. And the gratitude practices is, for, when I was shown the gratitude practices, that they reinforced it's almost like they reinforced like the way that it was just like if you're in the desert and you get given one drop of water don't reject it for wanting to turn the tap it's like take that one drop honor it because you and in the honoring of that one drop you start to become aware that that one drop is actually the ocean but, in, but the tendency of the mind is to look at the drop, see that it's not really what it's looking for, reject it, and then carry on in search. So it, it's been a sacred teaching, the teachings of gratitude for me in a yana yoga perspective, because it's been once I actually took the drop seriously, and it's, I think for the whole life it was, I've been prepared in maturity to actually take that one drop seriously and seeing how many decades I've been rejecting that drop and I just felt to share that because when I hear the word gratitude it's it reminds me of the maturation process of mm, the maturation that it took me to value the silence that was kind of shown and um, and it's like a doorway and it's like it doesn't it's not that peace grows i don't think 
peace does grow. It's like awareness doesn't grow. It doesn't expand or grow. We're already fully, fully aware, but it seems as though there is a deepening process of being aware of the immensity of it. And I feel that that kind of gratitude has been a doorway into kind of like that kind of bomb going off where you start to get that ongoing revelation of its endless depth. Mm. And it was the doorway for that kind of deepening dimension. Mm. Ah, perfect. Beautiful. Yeah. What I hear too is in a beginner's mind, you know, is okay. It might be unusual. It might be a different kind of experience, but um, yeah, one little drop to start. Love it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rowan. Uh, I have a little singing bowl here. Maybe I can, I can ring it three times and we can just rest for a few moments and uh, in a bit of silence and then we'll close. Lovely. Abby. Rowan, so much gratitude for you and uh, the journey you're on. Thank you for sharing your experience. Um, your experiences so authentically. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, is there uh, anything you'd like to share with any of the the listeners about uh, maybe where they could find you, find out more information about you? Um. Well, I mean, I have a website. I'm not very good at, to be honest, at business or social media, you know, so I'm not doing, I'm not very active, but the, the lockdown has been interesting because it's connected me to people that have resonated with this and in middle meditation. So it's possible, you know, that I might just do like a little once a week, one hour meditation setting, which, which sounds lovely. You know, people are asking that from different parts of the country. So yeah, you know, it's possible that we could sit together if people are interested or if this touches anyone or, you know, and but I kind of I kind of respond. You know, I respond to invitations. I don't really do too much from my own kind of like side of what the world needs, so to speak. So, if you know, if this touches people and there's some interest, and somebody wants to sit or there's a little group comes, I'm very happy to to do that. And if, if nothing comes, I'm also very happy with that. And my website is just my name, so it's just um, you know rowancabelli.com, and and I have a Facebook yoga page. And, and during the lockdown, I, I think I produced 17 classes, each of them two hours, packed with kind of different things that I've been exploring over the years. So that can be a nice free resource, you know, as well. So if anything I've spoken about resonates with anyone, there's two good places to go. We could do something and if and there is something on Facebook and and I might even produce, I'm thinking of producing like a little training course, you know, that I might put out at some point. One of my friends is kicking my backside to get me to do that because I'm not very good at it and I don't really feel motivated, but he's really been pushing and, you know, and maybe, so maybe, yeah, maybe I produce some content soon in case, you know, I feel that it might be nice to put that out there now and to, to see if, it, if, it, if there's value to someone, you know, can resonate with it and it's something that's very precious to me and I'm sure that it can be a value to someone. And so, yeah, I hope that hopefully that's enough. So rowancabelli.com is my website and anyone can write in if, you, if, if, if they want to speak. Great. All right. Take care, my brother. Thank you so much again. Yeah, lovely to talk to you, Abia. Wonderful to share. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.